Hello, hello, and welcome to My Tennis Journey. Um, I'm really excited about today's episode because we're going to have a mini tennis journey, so to speak, uh, followed by an Australian Open preview. Now, I've been telling our guest for a number of years at the Derbyshire Tennis Awards that he should be doing a podcast. And now he's on this one to do our very first Grand Slam preview. Our guest is passionate about every element of tennis, from playing for Rolls-Royce in Derby to following British tennis and the Pro Tours at every single level. One thing I must give him a shout out for is that he's a massive Novak Djokovic fan, as we'll hear a bit later. So welcome to the show, Pav Gill. Thank you, Rob. That's a brilliant intro and uh, brilliant to be on this podcast and uh, an honour speaking to such a Derbyshire legend. So uh, thank you for having me. Come on, come on. Now then, my friend, I like it because we've got a nice Australian Open preview and predictions with Pav. It's got a certain alliteration with this homeschooling. It's something I'm teaching the kids about, alliteration. So it's a good example of that, eh? Absolutely. It's got a good good sound to it, so I'm happy with it. But before we get to the preview and predictions with Pav, we need to hear a bit about your tennis journey. So how did it all start, Pav? It started like most tennis fans. So it started with me watching it. So I'm going to be honest with you. I I didn't really pay a lot of tennis when I was a kid. Um, And that's not because I really wanted to. It was just the way our schools were kind of brought up back then in that there was a lot more emphasis on football and cricket. Um, And you tend to kind of play the sports that your friends play. Uh, And a lot of my friends played football and cricket. And so I I was kind of pushed into that kind of direction. And uh, um, I never really kind of got into the the playing book of tennis. And it's probably one of my regrets in tennis that I didn't start earlier because I know you're the opposite. And, you know, you were a very strong junior player and, and you were, you know, very much into it from a very young age. And wow, um, it all went wrong from there, man. I peaked at the age of, I don't know, 15. You still not peaked. You're on the way up. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. But, um, but yeah, to answer your question, I got into it like most fans and I watched Wimbledon every single year. Um, and I've kind of grown up. I've always kind of liked the, the notion of backing the underdog. Uh, and I've always liked the notion of backing... The, the team where you're from or, or you know, where, where, where you come from. Yeah. So, um, so you know, when I was young, I was always a, a Derby County fan and, and not a Man United or Liverpool fan, yeah. which were really good. And we were, we were Division 2, Division 3. And I I'm, my theory behind that was that I, you know, these top teams have got loads of support and, and it's the underdogs that need support. So that kind of, uh, and I am leading somewhere with this and, and kind of where my passion for tennis came. And, Wimbledon used to rock up every single year. And I was like, well, I'm, I'm going to really get behind the Brits here because they don't do very well. And, and you know, you know, I, I was born, I, I'm, I'm 42. And I, I think I'm a couple of years, you know, younger than you, I think. I'm not you sure. Are, mate. You are, it shows. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, I don't know about that. But um, so when, when I started watching Wimbledon as a, as a child, um, it was very much a big thing if if any Brit won one match. And I just found it fascinating that, that it's in Wimbledon and we've got so many brilliant British tennis players, but a lot of them just used to, to get a wild card and they didn't used to make the, the, the second round. And, and it was it was kind of a big thing. And I really got into it when Jeremy Bates, which you'll probably remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, all of a sudden you've got this guy called Jeremy Bates and, he, and he's winning his first rounds pretty comfortable here. And I was like, well, come on, Jeremy, you're in the second round. And, and I think it was 1989, 1990, you'll probably have to research, but he actually made the fourth round of Wimbledon. 
Yeah. And the whole whole world for two weeks was it, it, Jeremy Bates was everywhere. Yeah. You know, he was on the on the newspaper. I remember going. We were being at school, and and you know, we were we were let out early because Jeremy Bates was starting as much. I think it was against Ski Forger, if I, if I remember correctly. Wow. And everyone was talking about it. It was like, and then I was coming home, and I, I think he lost in the fourth round to G Forger that time, and I was so upset because I was like, we could have had a grip. <laughs> In the quarterfinals, it was like it was unbelievable. But that kind of that was where my first passion started. Yeah. Um, it's always that, been that passion of for the British tennis players, because for a lot of people who are tennis fans, you know they'll watch Wimbledon as well, and you know they'll have heard of those big names. But that passion for the British tennis player has has continued ever since. Is that right? Absolutely, absolutely, and it got more and more. Kind of, I, I was so desperate for someone from Britain to do well, and you know we didn't actually have to wait a long time. And 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 I'll be, you know, Tim Henman was. I was a hen, hen, hen maniac. You know, I was. I would go to Wimbledon. I'd queue overnight. I was at university at this stage, and you know we probably fast forward ten years. So I'm out of school. I'm now into university. Eighteen, nineteen. Tim Henman turns up, and all of a sudden we've actually got a Brit who's actually good. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you know it was like oh my god we're actually gonna we're actually gonna win something and and you know so I was just you know enamored by the whole kind of fact that the whole nation for these two weeks and, and I'll be honest with you Rob I didn't even know at that stage that there was tennis throughout the year you yeah. know I thought that there was slams and you know I didn't know anything about these masters or you know I just thought people playing these slams and and you know Hemman plays at Wimbledon and, and you know it was only later on that it, you know it kind of stemmed to me that actually there's other meaningful tennis throughout the year but but yeah my passion for British tennis started by supporting the underdog by supporting someone you know I've always you know born and bred in in Britain obviously my parents are from India but I always felt that I needed to support them and and particularly in a sport which was dominated at the time by um the Americans were very very strong than both the women's and the men's front and it was almost kind of a, a friendly rivalry in that Britain are just so bad that I was so desperate for them to to kind of do well and, and that's kind of that you know Tim Henman Rosensky that's when I really started to follow tennis um, and again at this stage I'm still not playing it I'm just watching it and, and I'm into my 20s now and, and, and I'm, a, I'm a big you know Henman Tim you know he, he was one of my main passions for the, for the sport. Oh you know I played Rosensky a few years ago and um, oh wow uh, it was brilliant because he was lovely. He was so smiley and so lovely and so enthusiastic. And like we saw him later in the day as well. And, and he was actually friendly again. He, he oh, I can imagine. But, but he was lovely. And uh, he could tell that we played a little bit. You know, obviously he was so many levels above us. But he said to us, he goes, I'll hit a serve as fast as you want. You tell me where you want it and I'll go for it. Oh, so wow. it was amazing. I was like, well, stay away from my backhand. <laughs> and he yeah. brought one down. And it was that feeling of just no, I mean, you know, clearly wow. not putting everything into it, but seeing that bullet come down, man, what an experience. And and, and I yeah. think he had the record at the time. I think you might remember he did 143 miles. Yeah. Um, it, was, time... it was probably more like 136 on the day, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but his serve is vicious. So, you know, I, I actually envy you. B, I, I would, I, well, actually, I don't envy you, but it must have been some experience facing... Yeah. You know, a lefty, someone who just hits it flat and hard and woof, oh, you know, amazing. wow. Just on amazing grass courts as well. And amazing grass courts. Now, I've got to ask you, Yeah. you, you know, a massive tennis fan, but you're also so passionate about playing. Yeah. Well, how did that journey begin? 
I'll tell you how that began. And it began at university, um, to be honest with you. And it began, it began as a setback for me. So I, I, I kind of, I've always been into sports, Rob. I'm a big Derby fan. I, I was into my football, tennis. I, you know, I love the Olympics. I love all sports. And I got to university and I was a pretty good snooker player. So I ended up being captain of the snooker team and, and spending a lot of my youths in pubs. I was very good at temping bowling of all sports. So, um, wow. you know, I was, very, I was telling my mum and dad, I said, you know, I'm really enjoying university. And I was at Aston in Birmingham and uh, our mum and dad were like, well, what have you joined? And I said, well, I've joined the snooker club. I've joined the temping bar. And they were like, Pav, you know, where's your physical exercise? You know, why are you not doing anything? <laughs> And I, and I thought, yeah, I thought, well, this was the stage now. I was watching a lot of tennis. And I thought, right, well, I'm going to go to the tennis trials and I'm going to give myself a go. And, and, and Aston isn't a sports, um, you know, it's not like a Loughborough or Durham or a Warwick where you have top, top sports people. It's, it's kind of um, not a non-sports university at all. And they had four or five teams. And I thought, well, you know, I might be able to get into the fourth or fifth team um, or, you know, be on standby. And, and you know, I went to the trials and... Um, I was trying to look at what Tim Henman and Rysetsky was doing and I was trying to put it in practice and I was absolutely terrible. And I remember the coach at the end of, at the, end of the session when we were just hitting it said, you know, he said, you know, um, you, you know, thanks for turning up today. And he said that, you know, we're probably not to the level of getting in the teams yet, but if you and your friends want to play, here are the details of the course. And I kind of left tennis at that thinking, oh, okay, you know, I'm not very good at tennis. Um, and um, it, it left me a little bit disappointed because I was getting so much into it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, to, to answer your question, the, the kind of the, the time that I started playing was was in 2008, uh, about 12, 13 years ago. And I'd just been made redundant from, from my job where I'd been working in a big, big office throughout my time. And um, I kind of was made redundant, got a new job where I was working from home. So I had no social element. I had no banter, which I loved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I thought, you know what? I just need to go out and join a club. And, and you know, I, I, I looked at many clubs and, and uh, I fell in love with Rolls-Royce at one of their open days. And that was, what, 12, 13 years ago. And, and the rest, as you say, is, is history. And since then, I've, you, you know, which I play. So, yeah, um, yeah. I know you play a lot. I know you, you're vi are you still vice chair at Rolls-Royce? Uh, yeah, so I joined the committee um, probably two or three years, uh, about 2010, 2011, um, I joined the committee. And then I joined um, as the vice chairman in 2015. Um, it's a role I'm passionate about, as you know, and, and you know, I'm hoping that hopeful that I have helped along with the rest of the, the committee to bring positive change to the club and raise our, our, our visibility and and get a lot of LTA players um, practicing at the club, which we've, you which know, has it's, been. It's, it's brilliant, isn't it? And, you know, you, you know, so you, 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 you've got this role at Rolls-Royce Tennis Club in Derby, you know, Pab, are there better grass courts in the Midlands? I'm going to be obviously biased and I'm going to say no. <laughs> I know uh, Richard Joyner and the, the team at Nottingham Tennis Centre will, 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 uh, will, will disagree with me because they've got some brilliant courts there as well. But um, I honestly do think that they're, they're absolutely amazing. And, and that's just not me saying it. Um, you know, last year you probably knew that, you know, I, you know I've known the, the Clark family for a long time and, and, and Jay, whenever he wants to practice before Wimbledon and Nottingham, he would come down and, and use the facility and, and, you know, we're absolutely fine with that. And he would comment and say how good the, the facility was, but it's not just Jay. So I don't want to, you know, not drop too many names, but last year when tennis was allowed, we had Vic Allen, 
um, who came and practiced with Tom Rushby. We had um, Freya Christie, uh, who came with uh, coach Mark Taylor, who's previously coached Dan Evans. Um, obviously, Jay and Curtis and, and um, Millie Rejecti, who's uh, a talented junior from, uh, from Nottingham. We've had Olivia Nichols, who's played for, for Great Britain, was at the Battle of Britons, and uh, Sarah Beth Gray as well. And, and they've all come and they were from the Leopard Loughborough University. And, and, you know, I've come and I've, I've kind of said to them, look, you can use these facilities, but then I've actually gone and they've actually been nice enough for me to actually watch their training sessions. And for a tennis nut, for me, that's just been unbelievable. I think the thing here is, you know, the, the quality of the courts, undoubted, but you're very open with it. It's not, you know, and, and the quality of the player you, you've, we've, just, we've just heard uh, who are attracted because of the openness, because of the quality of the courts. I actually remember the first time I ever saw Jay play was at Rolls-Royce on the clothes. He was, he was hitting when, I don't know, he was young, you know, eight or nine. And I was like, wow, this lad, hey, he's going to be a player. But the, the thing that I love is that it's not just these top players that you're, you're, you're open at Rolls-Royce with. You know, um, you do run open days where you open the courts up to players from other clubs. Yes, yeah, and, that, and that's a big part of when I joined Rolls-Royce, I joined it at an open day. Uh, and for me, I've always had the, um, for me, tennis is more social and competitive. I, I love the competitive side of it. And, and you probably know that as well. And everyone who plays against me knows of it. But they also know that I love the social element of it as well. You know, I always say, you know, I've been captain of, of, of my team now for six or seven years. And I always say to my team, when we go out, we play hard. But whatever the result is, we shake the hands or well, probably not this year. Now we fist pumping or whatever we have yeah. to do post COVID. But, you know, whatever the result, we take it with grace. So we win with grace. We lose with grace. But for me, the most important element of it was you sit down, you socialize, you have a drink, you have some food and you just get to know the whole community. And that's kind of what we try to do in an open day to say that tennis is great and if you want to play competitive there's leagues here but there's an element of people that that love playing tennis in Derbyshire that that are not particularly into the competitive side they want to play the social element of it and, and I know you and your family have been down to many of our open days and we really appreciate your support but you'll know that we you know we get the barbecues out and and you know we get the food out and and you know we, we mix everyone up and and the whole idea is is to say look you know, competitive tennis is there, but if you want it as a social aspect and you just want to have, a, you know, hit a bit of, hit a few balls, have a sit, have a drink, have some food, you know, that's what, for me, tennis is all about. Come on. Now, I know you love playing tennis. I know you love watching tennis. You've got to choose one, Pav, playing or watching. Which one are you going to go for? You know, it's a really tough, um, really tough question. And uh, I, I think up to my early years, I would have said watching because I was, not any good at playing but I think my wife will probably confirm that it, it, it probably has to be playing now Rob uh -huh. uh, and the reason I say that is because whenever we book a holiday now my wife automatically knows the club champ dates she automatically has a calendar of league matches and I will not miss a match I think you know John Abedell will probably confirm this for you but I don't think uh, I've missed a match for for a number of years when when matches have been there and and um and that stems from the fact that I just love it I, I just really love it and um I love watching it as you know um you know I, before COVID I would go to many events so I would you know go to Birmingham Nottingham Wimbledon I've been abroad to watch tennis as well I love that but the, for me there's no better feeling than playing 
and then practicing what your heroes are doing and, and you know you're trying to replicate that on the courts and yeah. I, ju I just love the whole kind of the, the tactical the social the competitive so so it will have to be playing I'm afraid maybe uh you know when google glass or the like returns and uh you'll be able to put on a pair of those specs have Djokovic playing in the corner <laughs> and be serving at the same time you'll be able to do the that's lot gotta a, that's got to be a product out there there's so many <laughs> products coming out that sounds amazing <laughs> now that i mentioned Djokovic, tennis wise is there a bigger Djokovic fan than your good self um, I'm, I'm up there. I'm up there. I, I'm not going to say I'm the biggest Djokovic fan, but I think people who know me and know me from social media will it won't take them more than five minutes to realise that I am a, a big Novak fan, um, and unashamedly so. Uh, I know he, he polarises um, kind of fans and and has split opinions through 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 many of the community, but but yeah, I am a, I am a big fan. Uh, he, he is my role model. Uh, on and off court and then I just uh, yeah I, I, I love sporting him and um, uh, and watching him play tennis absolutely what what you know for, for the what is it you love about Djokovic what what you know because obviously it's something you're really passionate about what is it that you love about him there's not one thing that I can kind of bottle up and say that this is what what he does I mean my story behind Djokovic was going back to 2007 Rob and, and I was uh, this is when I'm now really into tennis and know that there's more tournaments than Wimbledon so now I'm watching every single tournament because I, I, I've really got the the, the the drug of tennis and um, Novak I think was 19 or 20 years old um, Andy Roddick was one of my favourite players and, and Novak was playing him in Montreal and uh, he was ranked number three uh, Djokovic came and he beat him in the quarterfinal and um, at that stage I was actually very you know I was reading Roddick and I was like okay fair enough but I thought because he's beaten Roddick I want him to now go on and win the tournament so the next match he played was a semi-final it was against Rafael Nadal who was seeded number two and I thought well this is going to be tough and he goes and wins that so we thought okay well now he's now he's now in the final and he's playing Roger Federer in Montreal who is you know, the best player in the world. He's number one in the world and he's been number one for, for, for years on end. You've got a 20-year-old Novak Djokovic. Um, and I thought, OK, well, you know, he's had a fantastic run. He's not going to beat the, 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 the third seed, the second seed and the first seed to win a Masters. And and he, lo and behold, he goes and wins it. And um, he was the only player to do that. Um, before that was, was way back, uh, Boris Becker was the only person to do that in the tournament where they've beaten seeded three two and one in the same tournament and that's when i thought there's something special about him from a from a playing point of view um since then obviously that's 40 you know he was 20 years you know on that and and you know i followed his career since then um i i just love his um i've talked about being the underdog and always sporting the underdog growing up and, and you'll probably know this it, it, you know everyone was everyone seemed to be a federer fan yeah. And, and, you know, an understandable so, you know, he's such a fantastic player, um, a graceful player. And, and I can understand why people love Federer. Yes. And I couldn't understand why Novak would never get the same sort of adulation or respect or, or you know, it, it almost it was a bit like pantomime. You know, pantomime was, you know, it was almost like tennis wanted to have a good guy and a bad guy. And Novak became this bad guy, I think, because, you know, he, he kind of fist pumped a bit and he was a bit, you know, he used to take his top off in the, back in the day. And I think people kind of found that as being a little bit disrespectful, I, I, I think, um, which, you know, for me as a competitor, I always think that if you play hard, you can celebrate hard. 
But as long as at the end of the match, you shake that person's hand. Here's a guy who's not particularly like, particularly in Britain. You know, he's got a lot of support in, in, in other parts of the, the world. But in Britain, he wasn't particularly liked. Uh, he didn't really get a lot of press. I, I felt a little bit kind of sorry for him. Not, well, sorry is the wrong word, but I kind of sympathised with him. And I felt... It's the underdog, isn't it? It's, it's the, it, yeah. Because... I mean, you know, people are rooting for Federer, people are rooting for Rafa, people are rooting for Murray, and 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 it, so that's that's, yeah, and that's exactly it. And that, and ever since I've been a kid, I've always kind of rooted for the underdog. Yeah. And I don't know if that stems from my background because we, you know, come in. I, I'm a son of son of an immigrant, and my mum and dad came to England in the in the sixties, and they literally came with 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 nothing. And and you know that they, they came and um, they had to kind of build their kind of lives and, and gave give us the opportunities that we now have yeah. and it was a very much an underdog kind of lifestyle and and so kind of when you grow up kind of being an underdog you you want to try and get somewhere but for me that translated to sport and and I love tennis because I think there's a great translation between sport and life and for me I've always backed the underdog and and, and that's why I'm a Derby County fan. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to say my friend as like as a York City fan now that's an underdog. You want an underdog, my friend. You that's, that's like our one of our best ever seasons was one of Derby's worst ever when they were in the same league. <laughs> but I hear you. I hear you. Um, now I've got to say because um, I, I I heard about this and you, I'd love to hear the story. Novak actually tweeted you in your yeah. mother tongue of Punjabi, huh? I know. I know. And it was I was just mind blown. I still I'm still mind blown now. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll probably give you a little bit of context around that in that, you know, I'm quite active on, on Twitter. And um, at the time, um, Jelena Djokovic, who is, is obviously married to, to Novak, um, they had just uh, obviously tested positive for, for Corona. Um, and they were, were having a little bit of a tough time, you know, with the press, with what happened at the US Open. Um, and, uh, you know, not condoning, you know, what happened, you know, it happened, but you know, as a result of it, he got a lot of a backlash. And, and I, I kind of said to Jelena, who, you know, at the time, and I tweeted her and I said, you know, always remember that, that you've got to be kind of positive through your toughest times. And, and one of, you know, I'm a Sikh and we've always kind of believed that you, you sometimes have to enjoy your difficulties. And I saw the podcast with with Yaz last week and she talked about how important it was to to have lost matches because yeah. you learn more from losing than you do from winning. Yeah. And my message really to Jelena was that what we say in our language is something called Javdi Kala, which means that everyone has adversity in life and, and it, it happens. But and it's not a case of saying, oh, you know, think of the positive. It's kind of saying just kind of be mindful of the moment enjoy the moment and know in yourself that it's not going to last forever and and you've got to kind of keep that same spirit that you do when you're when the good times are there you've still got to have that same spirit and I I kind of said that and she kind of tweeted me back to my shock and I was just like okay you know she's got you know a couple of million followers and she went oh thank you and and stuff and and you know she started following me um and and that was a few weeks you know um before Novak decided to to tweet me and and you know I, I tweeted him after he won uh semi a tough semi-final match against Sitsi Pass and 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 I just said um you know kind of well done and and you know you, you showed kind of great reserve going in you know deep in, in five sets against Sitsi Pass and he responded and said you know well 
me, Jelena told me what, what you said about Jandy Color. You know, my wife is like, is that the Novak Djokovic? Is just to, and we were just laughing, thinking that Novak and Jelena are casually having breakfast and they're talking about Pavi G, some, you know, some guy from Dark. And uh, it was just, it was just unbelievable. And, and you know, he, he followed me after that. He followed me on Instagram, followed me on Twitter. We, we, he's kind of, uh, uh, they've both kind of dropped me a few messages since then. Uh, and it's just, you know, I mean, that's one of the reasons just why I'm a big fan of Djokovic. He, he does that. He engages with fans. Uh, and that means a lot. You know, we, you know, we invest a lot of time, but we do so of our own free will. We're, we're supporters. You know, we don't expect someone, you know, that level to personally take the time to actually um, to say thank you. And, and the fact that he did just was just was was mind blowing, Rob, to be honest. It, it really was. What a story. What a story. Well, Mr. Pav, that's, I mean, you know, it's been great to just have a, have a quick chat around um, how you got involved in tennis, your mm -hmm. love of tennis. Um, perfect now to come on to the, the Aussie Open. Yeah. So let's focus, let's focus in on that, Pav. Um, women's draw, you Kenin's the reigning champion, Barty world number one. Who's your pick of the tournament from a, from a, a women's draw point of view? It's, you know, predicting a women's Grand Slam in the last, I think, 13. I think there's been 11 different winners in the last 13 slams. So it's really, really difficult to pick the women's slams. That, you know, um, but, you know, you've asked me the women, so I'm going to try and give you um, who I think will, 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 will do well. Obviously, we've got Sophie Kennan, who's the, the, the reigning champion and deservedly won last year. Um, she beat Garbine Mugurusu, who I think is, is a candidate. I think she's starting to play... Um, really well, um, and and she played uh, first match yesterday and 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 won six two six love, um, so she's obviously you know right up there. Um, Barty is is obviously going to be the home favourite. Um, you know whether her not playing for almost a year is an advantage or a disadvantage is going to be the key thing to to kind of figure out. Uh, and and so far it looks as though. She's she's doing all right, you know. She looks in good shape, so it looks as though she's doing she, well. She beat Barty, uh, beat Anna Bogdan, didn't she? Straight sets. Um, the, uh, yeah, three and three um, yesterday. She lost to Halep in three sets in the exhibition, um, but you know Halep's a very very good player. So the fact that that went so close is is a good sign. I think for me, the favourite of the event, and I'm not saying she will win it, has to be Naomi Osaka. Um, just on the fact that Naomi Osaka seems to bring her best tennis to the biggest events. Uh, and I think that's that's the difference for me between the good players and the elite players, is that the elite players come to the party when it matters most. So I think Naomi Osaka is going to be the favourite. She um, hasn't played a lot. She hasn't played, I think, since the, Australia, since the US Open. She took a long break. Um, you know, she signed a lot of deals in that time and, and it has become a, a big superstar. It was the highest racing tennis player um, last year and will probably even surpass what she made that, that, that this, this year. Um, she started off really well, so she won in straights yesterday. Her next match is a huge challenge against our very own Katie Walter. So uh, that's going to be We've really got to mention Katie. We've got to mention Katie, haven't we? What a, what a win overnight. Oh, unbelievable just unbelievable and and you know I've been a big fan of Katie Bolter I've followed her through um her junior career she's obviously based in uh well she's from Loughborough 
uh, and she was coached by Jeremy Bates. So, um, you know, I, I've actually met both of them at Nottingham uh, at a tournament and uh, I did tell Jeremy Bates about me uh, passionately cheering for him when I was a kid. Uh, so I don't know if you like being reminded how old he was, but uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, for Katie to, to go out and beat Coco Goff, who obviously is, is, is really come to prominence in the last 12 years as a, as a genuine top player was just unbelievable. And, and the way she did it as well, I mean, she was 6-3, 5-4 down. She had to break serve in the second set uh, and then came out 6-2 winner in the third was just unbelievable. And, you know, she's dropped to 352 in the world and, and Coco Goff's in the top 50. So, you know, this is a, a massive win. Massive um, win and, and just a sign that, that Kate is on her way back up, which yeah. is great, isn't it? Yeah. I slightly diverse there, Rob. So you asked me who's going to win the women's yeah. Open, and I'm going to go with a slightly, um, a slight outsider, but someone who I think can do it, and that's Sabalenka. Mm. So um, I, I, I kind of felt that you were going to ask me who was going to win this, and I, I, I looked at Sabalenka yesterday, and she had gone on a 15 win win streak, so she's bang on form. Yeah. And she was up against Kay Kanepi last night, and I thought, okay, well, let's see, you know, she, how she's done after quarantine, and and she actually lost. So I thought, do I change my do I change my prediction, or do I do I stick with Savalenka? I've been watching the last few months, and I think, you know, she's she's bang on it. But I'm, I'm going to go with Savalenka just on the fact that um, she burst onto the scene and she got into the top twenty, top ten, um, so so quickly, and and was hitting the ball so hard and didn't seem to have any fear. Um, similar to like Andrescu and Osaka and Kennan and all these young players seem to to come out and not be phased by the lights yeah. of the Serenas and you know the the Halips. They just they just go out and play, and which I think is unbelievable. And then so, Sabal so Pab, you're going to go Sabalenka eh, on the women's draw. I think I'm going to go, and it's an interesting one. I, like because there's not been as much tennis, I do think Serena's got a chance um, yeah. of getting that elusive one, you know, that she's been pushing for. Maybe she can make it 24. But I just think, and this is going to play a role in, as you'll see in my predictions, but I just think home advantage um, seems to be playing well. I think Ash Barty's going to go on. Oh, so yeah. There's my prediction. So you'll go Sabalenko, I'm going Ash Barty. Um, yeah. How about, you know, uh, someone like, just before we move on from the women's draw, how about Yo Johanna Conta? How do you think she's going to get on? I think Conta, I mean, I, I've got a huge amount of respect for Conta. She's, she kind of always does things her, her own way. Um, and um, I, I think that way is, has proven that it is the right way. And, and you know, she's such a consistent player. Um, she had a great result yesterday. Um, so she beat Para three and three. Um, so she's she looks in great shape. And I think it's so fascinating, this slam, is that you're really going to know the people that have worked hard in the off-season and those that haven't. And it's going to be apparent very, very quickly to those that have. And looking at Joe yesterday, she looked in great shape. She looks confident. Uh, and she's very much a confidence player. So I think, you know, Joe is going to be seeded, which always helps in a slam. So, you know, she's not going to face anyone kind of ranked lower than her up until the, 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 the round four. She, she, you know, she's, she does well in Australia historically. So I think she's going to last eight. I think, I think Joe could have a really good run. It's a really interesting point about who's going to work hard because I don't think there's many who work harder than Joe Conta. So yeah, maybe she's got a chance. Come on, Joe, 14 in the world. Let's do it for the Brits. Absolutely. Amazing. Um, but before we move on again from the women's draw, what a story, Fran Jones. Um, oh. 
uh, born with you know a rare genetic condition um called ectrodactyly ectodermal dysplasia syndrome uh Franz, she's you know got three fingers and a thumb on each hand three toes on her right foot four toes on her left she grew up in bradford but she's been playing over in spain what a story just qualifying for the main draw just unbelievable and I, and I followed Fran's career for the last four or five years she's 20 now um and I've been really really impressed with her mental ability and I think I touched upon it before but you know the separate the good player from the you know a very very good player is is how they play under pressure uh, and I've seen Fran Fran play in the, in the qualities and and you know the three players that she beat were all way way ranked higher than her you know, she, she's ranked, she's just broken in the 250 now after that run. But these players were in the hundreds, um, you know, or the 200s and, and, you know, early 200s. And, and, you know, every player that she beat, she beat comfortably, but she played the pressure points so, so well. So I think one of my issues with British tennis is, is that particularly on the women's side and before kind of Murray kind of came to the fore is that they, they get themselves under a lot of pressure. So, you know, you, you, you watch these players in training and they've got every shot in the book and, and, you know, in matches that they win, they look amazing. But sometimes on the on the break points, on the set points, you could just see them get so, so tight. And, and the reason why I've got huge hopes for Fran is that she seems to be the opposite. So uh, point, you know, the big match, the big points, Fran plays unbelievable tennis. Um, you know, she played yesterday and she, she lost, unfortunately, to, to Podokova, 47th ranked in the world. But she played really, really well. Yeah. And she's scared of anyone. And, and, and you know, I, I heard her in an interview and she said because of the background that she's had of, of, of face, you know, her doctors told her that she couldn't play tennis. You know, she wanted to play tennis from a very young age. And they said, look, with this condition, it's just not going to be possible for you to play professional tennis so you know it goes back to me and my love for the underdog in and you know this Fran Fran Jones has been told she can't play tennis she's just qualified for the Australian Open she's just broken 250 in the world she's only 20 you know and if the rankings uh, were kind of as they were um you know as they should have been you know she would be a lot higher um and you know I I really hope that she gets a you know, I think someone asked her, "What? Who would you like?" You know, in the first round, and she said, um, "You know, either a lower round player or Serena." And, and it was kind of, you know, interesting that she's she's not phased. You know, she's right. thinking lower round player, but she's thinking, "I can actually win a few matches here." You know, I'd love to play Serena, but I'd love to play her in the quarters and then round one. You know, she's already got that mindset, not thinking, "Oh, I'm just going to go there and get a loser's check," and you know, I've I've done my bit. She's actually thinking, "Look, you know, I've actually made the main draw." I'm going to go for it here. So, can't, wait. can't wait to see yeah. how Fran gets on. Such exciting prospect. Brilliant. So the men's draw. Um, your man Djokovic has won eight titles. Pav, is he going to make it nine? I don't know if you see my fingers crossed there, but I, I, I hope so, Rob. Um, I'm not... I always try and be a bit of a realist uh, as opposed to someone who will blindly support... Um, someone, you know, through, through um, and, and think they're going to win everything. I, th- I think this year is going to be really difficult for Novak to make it number nine. Um, he, he broke the record uh, last year for number eight and is going for the third on the trot. Um, I think towards the end of last year, he felt um, he played a lot of matches in, in a short period of time. And, and you could see that 
he was feeling the strain a little bit physically and also mentally and understandably so. And, you know, going into a new season, he hasn't had great preparation. Um, you know, what Novak normally likes to do before a slam is he plays a couple of tournaments, then he'll go away in a, a yoga uh, camp or, you know, and, and just take him away. And then he's, he's back physically and mentally ready to, for the challenge. Now, with Corona, your normal schedules are, are, have gone out the window, which is, you know, it, it's a great leveler because it means that you get more sort of shock results, you know, particularly on the, on the men's side, which we're not used to. We're used to the same people winning over and over again. So... I hope he wins, but I, I'm, as a Novak fan, my main, I've got two big threats in the Australian Open, and they are Danny Medvedev and Dominic Thiem. Mm. Um, and I think um, either of those two, along with Novak, along with Rafa, and along with Sitsipas, are my five players that one of those five will win this year's Australian Open. Um, I hope, as a fan of Djokovic, he will. Um, if I put my pundit kind of head on, I'm I'm not sure. I, I'm I'm really not sure if uh, um, he he can go all the way. Um, I think Medvedev is going to be a, a big threat. Um, he's you know won the last two big events and his confidence is super high. Um, team has just been playing unbelievable tennis uh, on this surface um, for for a long time now. And you can never count out Rafa. I know he's only won the Australian once, but he is a champion. And and you know you can never. Never, never discount a champion and, and, and sits the pass as well is, is another player who, who is really kind of um, kind of grown as a player. And, and, you know, mentally, I think he's very, very focused, very screwed on. So it's going to be a fascinating, fascinating. Uh, it's open, isn't it? And I think if I had to pick one, I'm going to go, I'm going to go sit the pass. And I'm going to okay. go with that because it, I think that, I mean, it's his favourite tournament is the Australian yep. Open. He's, there is a massive, massive Greek contingency in Huge. Melbourne. And the, there's fans at this tournament. You know, there's going to be support there. And I think that Sitsipas is going to have the crowd with him and it could take him on a wave through the event to glory. So uh, I'm going to go for Sitsipas. Now, Pab, I mean, I'm, we've talked about Medvedev, about team, um, about about, you know, Djokovic, who are you, who are you going to say? I mean, you've got a back plan, haven't you? I'm going to get a lot of flack for this from a lot of the, the Djokovic fans, but I'm, I'm going to go with, with Medvedev to win this year's Australian Open. I think Novak will have a, have a really good run. Uh, I don't want to predict him and, uh, and kind of put the jinx on him as well. So that's, I'm thinking of that as well. But I, I think Medvedev is, um, he has really kind of impressed me in the last year. And I think he's going to win a lot of slams and I think um, you will see a, a fantastic rivalry. You already are between Medvedev and Nadal and team and Djokovic and, and you know, I can see that rivalry um, prospering for years. I think Novak will win a couple of slams this year. I don't, uh, Australian Open might be a little bit too early for him, for him because of the lack of tournaments. I know he's going to be playing the ATP Cup this week and, and he, he looked in great form last night against Shapovalov. Uh, winning in straights, and he looked really on it, uh, which was great to see as Novak fans. But I think um, I think Medvedev might uh, might just uh, upset the apple cart this year. We shall see. <laughs> Interesting. Now, what about from a British perspective in the men's Dan Evans? Dan Evans, huge fan, as you probably know. Um, you know, I've loved Dan and, and followed his career since uh, since 18, 19 years old. So um, 
Uh, I think he's got a really, really good chance. He, he's now, uh, I think he's going to be seeded for the first time ever. Um, so he's got up to 32 in the world, um, which means that, you know, he doesn't have to worry about facing Federer or Djokovic in round one, which he has in the past. And, and you know, he's not been particularly lucky in slam draws in the past. Um, but I, I think he's going to have a good run. I think he could um, match what Kyle Edmund did a, a few years ago and, and maybe get to quarter semis. Um, but I, I've got so much time for Dan because he constantly reinvents himself. Uh, and again, you ask, you know, what, why I was such a Djokovic fan is that he's always reinventing himself, whether it be off the court with his diet or on the court with his change of serve changes. You know, Dan Evans, I watch, you know, a lot and I, I don't know what shot he's going to do. And I think if I don't know, the opponents don't know, yeah. you know, going to slice it. Is he going to chip and charge? Is he going to lob it? Is he going to out rally them? You know, what, what's Dan Evans going to do? And, and that's, for me, again, it makes it so difficult because there's so much data and stats available in tennis now that these coach and analysts, the top players, will know every single one's strengths and weaknesses. They'll know what they do on key points. What do they do on break point? Yeah. What do they do on a match point? Do they tighten up? What serve do they do? And with Dan, and, you know, he, he he's a student of the game. He, he changes it up all the time. Uh, and, and, you know, that's my only slight criticism that I've had of Kyle Edmund is that he's done fantastically well. But he, for me, became a little bit too one dimensional. He burst onto the scene, top 20, made semi-final of the slams. But then he didn't quite change his game and players sussed him out and thought, right, you know, we know that your forehand is one of the best in the game. You're not getting a shot on the forehand. And, and, and you know, they were kind of just peppering his backhands. And, and you know, with Dan... You can't do that because he changes. I don't think Dan knows you know, what he's going to do himself, but it, his variety of, 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 of shot making is just unbelievable. And, and makes him so uh, exciting to watch, doesn't it? It's so exciting. And, and yeah, and he's playing the best tennis ever. So I think he could go deep to the quarters like, like Joe. I think he could go up to the quarters. It's going to be an exciting tournament. Now, I know we, you know, we've covered the singles, Pav, um, but it's not just about the singles. You know, we've got men's, women's, mixed doubles. Um, you following the doubles? Yeah, being a big fan of Joe Salisbury. Um, so he's always been someone that um, I, I followed from, uh, um, again, from it from his junior career. And, uh, you know, he's kind of uh, come through, um, not through the limelight of, of the Murray, uh, of Jamie Murray, really. He's kind of come through in the shadows a little bit. And, uh, you know, he hasn't kind of uh, had the same sort of profile, but, you know, he's a fantastic player. And I think everyone in Britain watching him in the Battle of Britain, watching him in Davis Cup. And now he's, you know, teamed up with Rajiv Ram and they've, they're in the top eight. They're, you know, they're winning big, big titles. Um, so I think, um, you know, I know him and, and Rajiv will be wanting to win that, you know, they, they don't want anything other than winning. So it's I think- going to be such an exciting tournament from a tennis point of view, but from a British tennis point of view, isn't it? I mean, I'm really interested, of course, you know, Jamie, Murray and, and Bruno Suarez, good luck to those guys. But I'm yeah. really intrigued to see how, how Neil and Ken Skupski get on back playing together. It's almost like equilibrium has returned now in that Jamie's now gone back to Bruno where he's had his most success with, without doubt. Yeah. And and the brothers are back together. And, and you know, that those three British, you know, I mean, we're so blessed to have so many good doubles players. And it goes down to the, the league system that we have in tennis, in, in, in club tennis. You know, as you know, you know, nearly all the league games that we play uh, in the Derbyshire League are, are always doubles. Yes. And, 
everyone has kind of come through that system and doubles is a, a big part of British tennis. And that's why, you know, whereas we've had problems, you know, with, with producing singles players, we haven't had that problem. Right, here's my, um, here's my every episode County Week shout out. I mean, we've seen Joe Salisbury play County Week. We've seen Skupski, yes. Skupski play County Week. Jamie Murray's play County Week. Everybody wow. must go and watch County Week when we can. Eh? Oh, absolutely. And you know what, Rob, I've not never been to County Week. And I'd love to, you know, I, I was kind of, this year was the year where I thought, you know, what, I'm really going to make an effort. I know you go with your family and have a few days in, in, in the summer. And, and you know, I've, my my main ambition is is to, to go and cheer Derbyshire on because, uh, you know, I'm good friends with the Rushbys and, and you know, I'd, I'd love to see them, um, uh, you know, in proper competitive action. And, and uh, maybe, uh, well, maybe, yeah, maybe in time we'll see him play against Ken and Neil Skupski and Joe Salisbury again. Yeah. I think that'd be a bit special. Wow. Absolutely. Um, now then, Pav, it's been great chatting to you. Um, but but just before we finish, Pav, a question we ask everyone. Um, <laughs> if you could go for a drink with anyone alive or dead, who would it be and why? Uh, it's a tough question. I had a feeling that you were going uh, to ask me that. Um, and I had to think about it because um, my main passion kind of growing up was always football. And I'm going to say that the person that I'd most like to have a drink with, and unfortunately he's no longer with us, is is Brian Clough. Yeah. And uh, you know, Brian Clough, as you know, you know, from these parts. I know you're not originally from these parts, but he turned Derby from Division Two, Division Three to the equivalent of winning the Premier League, not only once but twice. Yeah. And again, it stems from my kind of passion of the underdog in the how can someone kind of transform a team and back then a lot of the teams they were from derby so but it, it's not like it is now where you know each player is from all over the world it was you know your team you know most of the players that played for derby were from derby and and you know for brian clough to come in and and you know transform a team that was struggling to kind of world beaters and, and you know get them to european cup semi-finals and get you know, so many fans have put Derby on the map. I would just love to kind of speak with him and, and just kind of understand kind of, you know, where, you know, how, how we did it, how we did yeah. it and what, what his challenges were. I know, again, Brian Clough was someone that did polarise uh, opinions and we've talked about that before, which we know that does and other sports people have done. And, and, and Brian Clough is, is, you know, has gone down as, um, the best football manager never to manage England is the, the kind of tag that he normally has. But I'd love to just get his insight of how he got uh, a bunch of guys and being captain myself, you know, I, I love listening to kind of sports leaderships and, yes. and people who have excelled in, in, in that. And, and that's why, you know, I'm a big, big fan of Leon Smith because he's done a unbelievable job for, 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 for British um, Davis Cup. And I think you mentioned what my happiest moments, I think one of my happiest moments watching tennis was, 2015 Great British uh, Davis Cup um, win in, yeah, in, yeah. in Belgium and winning the final. So, um, so yeah, so Brian Clough is right up there for me as, as one of, um, you know, he's one of person that, a role model, you know, a great coach and, and you know, underdog. And, you know, I don't want to mention Nottingham Forest in this, uh, but I will, but he obviously did a, a very good job with our friendly neighbours down the, the A52. And uh, just, 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 you know, everything that he did um, worked. And I think he's, uh, he's such a good choice. As you'll hear, actually, you're not the only one to have said Mr. Brian Clough. Um, oh, okay. And uh, okay. you'll, you'll find out who else has as well. He's, um, 
uh, and one of the things I love is, yeah, you know, you've got all the stories, you've got the incredible stories, but tactically, you know, yeah. tactics is such a massive part of, of tennis, isn't it? And, and he tactically had a system where everybody knew what their role was. Yes. Everybody was exactly knew what they had to do. And he made that happen. And, you know, as a coach of a, of a kid's football team, if a player knows what the role is, it's yeah. such a massive, like, you know, help. And, and I think that tactically, I've, I've, I've said, you know, I'd love to hear, I'd love to hear from Brian Clough about his tactics. And it might well be it was Peter Taylor who was doing more of the tactics and stuff. But even so, you know, that's good management in that you've brought people yeah. in, haven't you? you know. So, oh, yeah, I'd love to, I'd love, love, love to sit down with Mr. Clough. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we could probably learn so much just, you know, <laughs> but uh, there you go. Well, man. well, listen, Pav, tennis is back. It's been great to, to chat about your tennis journey, to chat about the Australian Open. Let the action begin, eh? You know what? I can't, I can't wait. Thank you so much for your time, for sharing your knowledge uh, of all things tennis. And, uh, yeah, we'll look forward to seeing you at one of those Rolls-Royce Open days sometime soon. Definitely. I'll be sending you out the date soon, Rob. Good one. Thanks, Pav. Cheers, guys. See you there.